Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Modern Golden Age podcast. And today uh it's it's the end of season one, and I have with me like all guests were special so far, but like this guest is really, really special. I have with me Visa Visakan Virasami. Visakan, is that is that how I pronounce your name? Or that's fine, name? yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Visa. Uh I'm really, really excited to have you on. How are you? Nice. Thanks for having me. I'm good. You know, getting getting by. I finished my book a couple of few months ago. I quit smoking, and yeah. so I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to get around to writing essays, yeah. making some progress. But uh, you know, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Well, like I I, I it will be hard for me because it's 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 already hard to articulate thoughts in English uh, when I'm focused, and I'm so excited to have you here. So I, I'll, I'll just ask for sorry if I take a little bit longer to ask questions, but yeah. So, uh, you, I, I met you through, through Twitter, um, and, and you're one of the most interesting person, uh, that, that I, I, I follow. You've been mentioned in all this, this, this podcast and all the episodes of, of the podcast, because wow. most people that I met, uh, I actually met through Twitter. And so you're a big, big fan of, 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 Twitter and tweeting, and my first question w- would be like, how would you describe yourself in one tweet? Describe myself in one tweet? They say one tweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so friendly, ambitious nerd, I guess. And uh, I've b- before I said friendly, ambitious nerd, I used to think another phrase I liked was polytribal weird heart. And so mm. polytribal, by polytribal, I mean being a member of many different tribes simultaneously and by weird heart i mean um, just being compelled to express myself in all of its um its nuance i guess or its its color like i've i mean so i think everyone relates to that in some way you know everyone's a bit different everyone's a bit strange and uh, everyone but not everybody goes on to enact that out loud and mm. i've always felt you know i think uh you know so i grew up as a minority in my country and i have a weird name i'm tall dark and you know, i look strange and so i've always received more attention than i knew what to do with which mm. isn't i don't think that's super universal but so it's almost like if people are always going to be singling me out for attention like in school for example or people are always going to be pointing at me then i might as well kind of give them something to look at or something to you know like have have something to say right like so i, I now i'm rem- remembering that like when i was in school you know if like a bunch of kids are talking in class which as kids do like mm-hmm. the teacher would almost always pick me to, as as an example like we said yeah. you have something to share with the class and yeah. it's like you know i'm not the only one who's talking everyone's talking but i'm very visible so they, they yeah. point at me and i'm like And I'm like, okay, if you're gonna ask me to share stuff with the class, then I should prepare, right? I should have something to say, and like have a joke or whatever. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, in a tweet, I would say poly travel, weird heart, friendly, ambitious, nerd, um, curious, kind, uh, ambitious. As I already said that, uh, yeah. just um, always hungry for something new and exciting, and and always. Almost sometimes I say haunted by by visions of mm. what could be. Mm. Uh, another story I sometimes tell is that you know when I was in junior college, there were these these doors like so. There's there's two doors to get into the lecture theater where all the students go for lectures, mm. and both of the doors are double doors. So there's like two doors each, but 
they would leave one of the doors locked and the other door open. So it's a very narrow corridor. Mm-hmm. And it's like they would take five to 10 minutes to fill up the lecture theater because people are passing through those narrow single doors. Yeah. And, and I'd be like, why don't we just open the second door? And so I would yeah. do it. I would manually open the second <laughs> door. And you can see that, oh, once somebody opens the second door, like the, the stream of students is way yeah. better. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, it goes from five, 10 minutes to like one or two minutes instead. And you yeah. multiply that by every lecture, every single day across the whole year. But like yeah. nobody else, nobody else um, did that. And it was, it was, you know, like if at the time, so I'm the kind of guy who would, with, with what I know now, you know, I would make a bigger deal out of it. I would be like, like, and I, I don't, most people might think who cares, you know, it's just some small thing, but you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's so, there's so much consequence downstream. And so that's what I meant by like haunted by possibility. Yeah. And in a way, you know, when I talk about golden ages and I talk about scenes, and all, it's, it's all just variations of that. Why don't mm. we just open the second door? You know, it will yeah. be so much. And, and nobody's, it's nobody's job to do it, you know, and everyone's focused on, oh, I just got to get the lecture. I just got to get out. Like, so nobody is zooming out to see the bigger picture and think what's going on. And so, yeah, I'm always <laughs> haunted. By by the adjacent possible. That's a phrase that's been on my mind recently. I think that's a Stephen Johnson quote from. He talks about uh, where good ideas comes from, and yeah. it's just this idea that you know the present is not final, right? It is. It's just mm. an arbitrary configuration of. It's just. It's just. It's just how things. If you look in the past, right? You look and you look at the past and think, oh, things were worse, or things were, you know, when you look at the past, you can see how things are different now from the past. But mm. we have this sort of end of history um, fallacy slash illusion where yeah. you don't realize that everything is in transit. Everything is yeah, in, the, in, the, in the middle. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's not, it's not over. And yeah. all of our institutions and structures and configuration, all of that is subject to change. It, it, yeah. It's less likely that it will stay the same than not, you know, because change mm-hmm. is only constant. Nothing stays the same for more than a, several decades or whatever. Mm-hmm. But people don't seem to realize this. So, yeah, so I, <laughs> I'm not really answering your question, but it's just, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no. You know, yeah it's just friendly, which is not, weird heart, um, always, thinking about, always thinking about frames, always haunted um, by yeah. possibility. And just always trying to, you know, trying to solve problems, trying to get people excited, trying to have fun, trying to, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. So how how did like I I have so many questions. Uh. So how do how do you um balance both of those things, like being haunted by what could be and actually having fun, because because those those yeah. are seemingly two very different ideas right it, it's almost like if i'm always haunted by everything that because the problem with the doors is not the problem with the doors is the mindset that makes the the door the doors a problem because not only it's not only that specific problem but the mindset behind it will allow for a different set of problems like and so it's it's easy to be haunted by that while at the same time you're a, a very kind person and, and and you promote kindness and and this calm and is having fun right so how did you balance those those two different forces that's a good question um you know and i do remember there were periods of time i think when i was a teenager especially where you know and i think there's there's something you might be able to describe as like the the visionary's burden right or something it's just like any you know haunting is really a good way of putting it i think it's it's when you know you're so overwhelmed and like there's there's a danger that 
you prioritize your vision over the reality you inhabit and that can make you arrogant headstrong um intolerant of others right like you just get frustrated with people like why don't you fuckers see what's going on yeah. you know what, 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 like why are we all arguing about such stupid shit when there's so much and uh you know I, I did struggle with that for a long time and um it's a good question i think um well it, it feels dismissive to say you just learn to live with it but that i mean so that's that's kind of the the the, the end goal right the end goal is to learn to live with it mm-hmm. and so it's kind of it's kind of a parallel processing i guess like uh so while all the vision stuff and possibility stuff is true um and i think the dominos memes come the dominos meme comes into play here as well it's like uh you have to understand that when visions are manifest they don't manifest because someone with a grand vision was very kind of a uh, very intense about it and very uh well I, i'm in multiple <laughs> minds about this but like um the, the thing that i learned i guess is that it's really the small details that make up the big pictures you know it's mm-hmm. the and it's the small dominoes that lead up to the bigger dominoes so one mm-hmm. way i told the story was that um you know so you feel like you're a hero in some in your own personal journey or mm-hmm. you feel like you're supposed to be a hero right you're just mm-hmm. you're some guy and you're like I where am I what what's my place in the world what should I do and you're like oh my god there's a dragon in like uh, destroying the villages down the, the next like, whatever you know so now, now you feel you feel burdened with oh god there's there's so much going on mm-hmm. uh we got to focus on the big things and mm-hmm. it turns out that um the little things make up the big things you know so mm-hmm. it's like I, I have this if you're familiar with the game uh the Witcher 3 There's yeah. this there's this funny side quest early in the game where so you are like this you you play this character who's you know like superhumanly strong and powerful and whatever and one of the early side quests is this old lady asks you to help her find her frying pan and it just feels like people joke about it like oh it's the frying pan in Witcher Three it's like such a trivial like mm-hmm. why is this big important person or heroic character doing so such a trivial task yeah but I, I I love that little thing because I feel that. You know, it's again. It's really it's the little things that matter, and you have to make time to help the old lady find the frying pan. If not, what are you slaying the dragon for? You know what I mean. Yeah. So it's like the the you slay the dragon w- to protect um the village, right? And what is the village? The village is a network of relationships between all the people, and mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a it's home, right? It's it's where the campfire is. It's where food is. It's where family is. It's it's everything mm-hmm. that you love, and if you you know you insult the old lady or you you know disregard her then even if you slay the dragon like you're not you're not um serving the village right so yeah. and like so you have to have the humility to be like even if i'm a dragon slayer i'm not above helping the old lady find her frying pan and yeah. the beautiful thing i found is that in practice the actual act of dragon slaying it seems to me it it's never done by like so even even if in the story it's like oh there is one hero and he's going to single-handedly kill the dragon with his sword or whatever um building the hero up to that point is always always a collaborative communal effort somebody has to train him somebody has to build the armor that make, make the armor for him you know like mm-hmm. nobody accomplishes anything tremendous on their own you know even when we speak we did none of us invented language ourselves you know language is this yeah. ongoing multiplayer game that's been 
play it for hundreds, not thousands of years. Thousands. And we get to inherit the thinking of other people, the language, the books, the stories. So it's really about seeing that there's this big collaborative process going on. And even if I have been blessed slash cursed slash burdened with some grand vision, to yeah. manifest that vision, I have to be in, have to keep my feet on the ground. You know, you have mm-hmm. a head in the clouds, yeah, but you have to keep your feet on the ground. You have to. And so I've, I came around to seeing that to serve my vision, mm-hmm. I have to be humble. I have to be present. I have to give a shit about other people and care about their perspective. And so even if I'm like, you know, I'm trying to build a golden age and someone's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed or I'm, I'm sad or, mm-hmm. you know, like my, like a teenager comes along and says, oh, my girlfriend left me and I feel like shit. And like, mm. that's the frying pan, you know, like the yeah. point of the golden age is to help the kids and to help yeah. people live well. And yeah, yeah. At, some, at some point it just became obvious, but I do, I do remember what it's like when it felt like two separate things and like that was agonizing, you know, and I felt like, there's this beautiful and and i think when you separate the two it becomes escapism it's like to avoid mm-hmm. the pain and unpleasantness of everyday life you fixate on this this imaginary ideal vision of mm-hmm. the future and you can see this play out in like political struggles where some people envision a communist utopia some people envision and it's, it's not necessarily any one particular ideology but mm-hmm. like ideology itself you know so mm-hmm. i would say that uh, so I don't like talking in terms of ideology, but mm-hmm. if you were going to have an ideology, I would say, where in your ideology do you help the old ladies with the frying pans? Because if yeah. you're not, then that's not worth <laughs> Yes, that's not a uh, good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that makes total sense. Um, so I, I, I'm fascinated by your thinking. And one of the things that I, I, I like... Anyone that follows on Twitter know that you're the thread guy. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you have these multiple threads going on with different themes and, and then you interconnect them and one of the things that i, I was always curious was like it i first of all is that how your head works and if mm-hmm. so like how how did you apply that to, to twitter like have, did you once you first log on twitter you realize that oh this is the perfect tool for to express my own thinking or was it something that it, it slowly emerged um, and 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 then you started to apply it. It's pretty slow. So you know, I I I won't pretend that I had some like you know I, I didn't appear on the scene with a grand understanding of how to do threads or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved the internet. I've always loved talking to people. I've always loved writing. And you know, I've always been everywhere all at once. Actually, <laughs> so I've always been on on Twitter, on Facebook, on Reddit, Quora. Uh, you know, um used to post on forums i have my own blog i have multiple blogs you know and um you just anywhere where conversations are happening i like to participate and i like to think out loud and and writing was my first style of expression that i was good at from practice and um i remember seeing mark andreessen do twitter threads back in like 2015 or so he would number them and i remember Mm. thinking that was really cool because the cool thing about having so that's before there was a twitter thread functionality but the cool Mm. thing about having a series of numbered tweets is that people can like specific tweets so let's say you do Mm. a you do you have a blog post that's like 10 tweets long right Mm. um you don't know which part of the blog post is strongest unless you have a thoughtful commenter who really points it out whereas if you do a thread with 10 tweets long people can like favorite um retweet reply Mm -hmm. and so you get this higher resolution feedback 
And so I was I was just doing a little bit of writing everywhere, and Twitter was where I was getting the best feedback. So that became mm. like a feedback loop where I was yeah. posting more tweets. Um, and then there was this guy Ryan Jow. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Jowidejan, I think. Uh, he I saw him replying to his old tweets and making like so. So there's mm. so the, the and Mark Anderson's style was you do just you sit down and you write an essay out in threads. We write mm. write an essay out. As a thread, which itself mm-hmm. is a cool activity, mm-hmm. and then I saw this guy Ryan who was replying to old tweets from like months ago. I was like, "How are you finding like how uh, that's cool? You know, it's like you're building yeah. out things slowly over time." And turns out that there's a search. So I I didn't know that search existed, but once I saw him doing it, I was like, "Oh, I I would like to do that as well." You know, I feel like I repeat mm-hmm. myself a lot. So even mm-hmm. before Twitter, I'm on blogs, I'm blogging, and I feel like I've been blogging about the same thing intermittently for like five or six years. Now every mm-hmm. so often I I blog about sleep. Every so often I blog about conflict. Every there are these topics that I return to. And wouldn't it be nice if it was all in one place instead of like disparate different posts? So when mm-hmm. I saw Ryan do that, I was like, "Oh shit, I want to do that too." And I started. He taught me how to search your own username, and then I started doing that. And then when quote tweets became possible, like there was another. Angle to that, like so, I was already doing these updating old threads, just to keep track of things. You know, and I was wondering recently, like why I do it, and I realized that um, I suspect there are a couple of instances where once um, I had a physical paper notebook that I used to write in, like just daily updates. This was when I was in the military in Singapore. And uh, I lost a notebook that had a lot of stuff in it, and I was just mm. super. I'm still sad about this, like ten years already, but I'm still sad because it had so much of my thinking, and it's just gone. Yeah. And also, um, I had a blog on a very like a, a mom and pop kind of small blog provider called Diary X. It's a pretty great service, but it's like run by one guy, I think, and he had some server crash, some physical, like mm. some very unlikely and terrible accident that ruined his servers and so like all of our blogs were wiped out and that was like my blogging from when i was about 12 to maybe even earlier maybe even like 10 11 no mm. uh, like 12 from about 12 to 17 like there's a black hole where my writing was and i'm mm. so depressed about that because i can go and look at my blog posts from when i was 17 or 18 and i can get insight into my own psychology and mm-hmm. there was also blog posts older than that but i can't Find those because they're gone, yeah. and so I just have this this great grief. I would say, you know, is that mm. I'm so sad that I lost all of that material. And uh, I, okay, in parallel to that, you know, when I look at my teenage years, um, there was a lot of I was struggling to do what was expected of me by my parents and by my teachers and myself as a as an extension of that. I'm like, why don't I study? Why am I not studying in school? Why am I not mm. working hard? Why am I not? You know why isn't my life just amazing? You know why am I not doing what I know I should do or want to do? Like what's going on? I want to understand. And so I I made all these attempts, and I was convinced at some point that you know my memory sucks. I can't remember stuff. I'm so AD- I didn't have a language for ADHD then, but I'm so scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. You know I'm all over the place. I can never follow up on anything. So I figured that okay, like I should at least keep meticulous logs of my stuff. That way. Even if I can't figure it, figure stuff out now, I'll be able to figure stuff out later. Right. And I think I used to read biographies and and histories, and just it's just kind of obvious to me that writing stuff down is powerful, right? And I wanted mm-hmm. that self knowledge. Knowledge is power. Blah blah blah. And yeah, so and I would have conversations with friends, and then I would be like, oh, that was a really good conversation, and I wish I could 
share this conversation with this friend with another friend which is something you can do on twitter so you mm-hmm. you reply with someone on twitter and mm-hmm. if it's a good conversation you can share that tweet with everyone else yeah. and that's that's just mind blowing to me right yeah. so it's all of these all of these angles that just i think um you know any one of those things is is like cool but i think when you add all of them up it leads to me being this obsessive tweeting a lot keeping track of all of my tweets threading yeah. Sharing, intertwining, blah blah blah. But yeah. you know, if Twitter if Twitter disappeared tomorrow, I would still be doing this somewhere else. I'll be doing it on my blog or YouTube, TikTok, yeah. Reddit, wherever. It's just I need I need this this. Uh, and there there are a few writers from history who have said similar things. It's like writing is how we make sense of ourselves and how we mm. situate ourselves in history mm. and in in the world, with national identity, like all of us. Mm. Like we figure ourselves out. There's this there's this quote from someone who was a refugee who said that um when without a homeland writing becomes a place to be you know it's where mm. you articulate who you are what your history is what's meaningful to you otherwise mm-hmm. you, you feel and it's it's so difficult to once you have it it's such a it's such a privilege you know you know in a way and you know there's this there's people there's like jokes or whatever that's like um i think it's a it's a peanuts comic where linus is saying like my library card is my passport to the country of knowledge something like that like mm. my citizenship to and i think that's beautiful you know i think it's like across space and time you know different nationalities authors just from ancient even mm-hmm. ancient greeks or whatever mm-hmm. and you feel this this bond across everyone and yeah I, you know i think i think growing up i felt like a lonely misfit alien and i think reading and writing helped me connect with history and feel like i belong in the world and yeah. that's just a very precious feeling and i want to having learned how to navigate that i and nobody taught me directly you know i i guess i had like one good teacher who was nice to me i had like you know like it's it, it should have been much more i wish i had an uncle visa who literally <laughs> kind of hey let me show you you know i had to really trial yeah. and error it myself and so i try to be that uncle for For anyone who wants it yeah yeah and and you do an awesome job right uh oh, thank you no you're welcome uh you're reminding me like I, i remember going to college and when when i went to college actually uh and i had my wrist injury because in, i was studying to be a musician then i had a wrist injury that made me oh, yeah. careers and even though i finished my the the course and i still play uh guitar i remember spending a lot of time that i i used i i In, in my first year in college, I would spend like seven to eight hours practicing. And when I had the wrist injury, I had to spend like seven, eight hours doing nothing. So that was really, really hard uh, for, for, for a, a kid that was growing up. So I would go to the, to the public library, actually, in, the, in the, the town where I was studying. And I would just hang out with books. And that, so I, I, I totally understand the feeling that you're, you're, you're talking about. So I, had no, I, I knew that you were blogging for a long time, but I had no idea that you had started as early as 12. Like, and my question is, I, like you, you said it before, you're, you're, uh, you have like this very um, thoughtful and deep relationship with the internet and what it allows. Uh, but did you have like any fears when you're starting to write as, as 12? Like, because most people that want to even start Uh, to to write on, online, regardless of their age, most of them start to have start by having this fear of oh I can't write because people other people will judge me and what if someone find out what I'm where I'm writing like you had that as early as 12 or you just didn't care and just 
wrote yeah, whatever I think, so I, th- I think for me, this is where being a minority comes in. Like, I'm so used to people assuming things about me mm-hmm. or, or just saying shit about me. So it's like, yeah, so I can't really help someone who is afraid. Well, I, can, I can try, right? I can say things that are like comforting and supportive. But like the truth is what a lot of people are afraid of, I kind of just was exposed to it from the beginning like like mm. i'm used to people judging me already i'm used to people assuming oh that guy he must surely be xyz and so i've always felt that uh and you know like being a big brown man like i i just feel like uh you know like i i only realized this fairly recently like around 2000 and like 19 or so like when i was a teenager i did not realize I couldn't put words to it, but like I was afraid to travel implicitly because I, I, I wouldn't say I'm afraid to travel. I'll just be like, ah, travel, eh, who, so troublesome, who cares? But I, I, I think I was afraid that suppose I go to London or the US somewhere just, you know, mm. by myself, right? And I'm at a bar or I'm at somewhere and some, some shit happens and someone, you know, accuses me of something. Like I would be afraid that you know, people will not take my side because he's an outsider. He's, you know, he mm. looks like a bad guy or whatever. And um, that changed in part because of my Twitter following and friend. Like, so now I have the privilege of knowing that anywhere I'm in the world, I have like friends in every major city who, or, you know, just people who care about me that I can reach out to, mm-hmm. who can kind of vouch for me and show me around. And so, yeah, the, the, the problem of worrying about being, and it, I mean, now I'm not even worried about that that much anymore, but it was a thing that I worried about. And mm. I'm sorry, but I got, I got sidetracked a little bit. Are no, you asking no. about worrying about judgment? Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I just felt like people were already judging me regardless of what I said. And so I wanted to, to get ahead of the narrative mm. in a sense, right? Mm. So like, and my wife and I talk about this a lot because she um, also, like we both are, uh, so she's also a minority, but like, so she's much lighter than me. And this is whole, whole, a lot of different dimensions to it, right? being male, being female, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But like, um, she, uh, it's, I don't want to tell her story because that's, that's her story to tell. But like, yeah. um, she used to feel that the best way to protect yourself is through like anonymity, like not mm. letting people know who you are, mm. where you're from, what's your location. And that's very understandable for, for women, especially, right? Like you don't want people to, you don't want some creepy guy to know where you live. Whereas mm. in my case, like as, as, as me, like I'm completely fine people knowing where I am because I don't expect yeah. someone to come and creep at me. So that's, that's like a difference of, of gender yeah. or whatever. But like um, my worry is not that people are going to be mean to me or, you know, just, threaten me physically like mm-hmm. like directly my worry mm-hmm. is that people will assume that i'm some kind of monster or some kind of mm-hmm. bad guy or evil guy or whatever mm-hmm. and so i counteract that by being vulnerable by being an art and you know when i was a teenager like playing music did that for me you know like being on stage and singing and writing songs and being able to express strong feelings without you know, so in Singapore, I think there was this stereotype of like the Indian man as like an angry, drunk, you know, mm. b- beats his wife, you know, that, that kind of stereotype, like a little bit, little bit similar to the, the US kind of angry black man, violent, yeah. aggressive kind of, yeah. it's not the same, but it's, it's yeah, yeah. roughly similar, right? And so I always began with the assumption that people already say shit about me. And so mm. I'm, I write 
to counter to counter the narrative in a sense. Yeah. 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 And now that I'm thinking back, um, there were milestones and thresholds where my stuff reached a wider audience than I expected it to. But I kind of wanted it a little bit, you know. So like when I was blogging locally. So like the when I said 12, like from 12 to 17, I was blogging, but it's like I only expect, expected my close friends to see it, you know, because I'm just mm. some kid. But mm-hmm. around 17 or so, I start I found like this local Singaporean live journal community and, and other stuff. And I realized, oh, you can write for your country, right? And be mm. and have your countrymen kind of receive your your perspectives. And so I started doing that. And so I kind of stepped into that role a little bit of like a cultural commentator like like oh oh Singapore why are we so you know like can we be more kind can we be less <laughs> like mm-hmm. money-minded and less uh, materialistic blah 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 and um it worked and I got a bunch of attention and a bunch of people assuming things about me that were not true but mm. by that point I had so much experience I've always been you know like so I've written some things that Having written it, I realized that I did not understand other people. And I was like, you know, so I wrote, when I was 20, I wrote a blog post called How to Save Singapore. It's a horrible mm-hmm. blog post. It's, it's very <laughs> ar- arrogant, presumptuous, uh, just bad. Like, I, I read it yeah. again. I cre- like, the thing is, when I read it, I can see that, oh, this kid means well, but he yeah. just doesn't know how to talk to people. He's, he's ignorant. He's a child. You know, he doesn't know how to fucking yeah. do it. And all the comments were like, who the fuck are you? You're full of shit. You don't know what you're saying. You're being arrogant by telling other people how they should act. And yeah. I read it. I'm like, ah, that's not what I meant though. You know, so I, I get that. I understand why you see what you see, mm-hmm. but that's not what I meant. So mm-hmm. I, what seems obvious to me is that, okay, I need to get better at expressing myself. I, mm-hmm. I make some mis- missteps, but I need to correct it. Like, and mm-hmm. not everyone seems to, extract that same lesson from that experience mm-hmm. and to be fair you know I, I i don't i won't claim to have like this abundance mindset in everything about my life i think there mm-hmm. are things that were like you know i used to be a picky eater and it took me a long time to not flinch from the kitchen or flinch from food like i used to be like mm-hmm. ah, i just I, I can't you know like i, I just I, I, and like even now i think with um calendars and schedules and times timetables and stuff like i associate that with ah it's like school i can't stand it i, I don't yeah. wanna i just you know, like I didn't think, oh, I'm just doing it wrong. I got to do it better. You know, like like yeah. intellectually, when I'm talking to you about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it, it should be the same thing. But emotionally, it's like, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to look at my calendar. It makes, causes me pain to look at my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas when people misunderstand me, I really truly feel compelled to try and help them see Try and correct things. You know, try and, let's okay. Let's try this again. Let's try this again. Like, I'm willing to. I'm willing to redo it again and again until I get it right. And yeah. I guess maybe part of part of that might have been that I grew up reading so many books mm. and there were so many authors who were so articulate and so beautiful. And I'm like, okay, I am not you know Tolstoy or just whatever great writer. Mm. I'm not there yet. And if I could write that beautifully, I'm sure you would see my point of view. But yeah. I can't yet. But I'm gonna try. And um, yeah, so I guess I guess maybe it's it's a sense of participating in that tradition. It's interesting. Is I'm glad you asked me this because I, I don't know if I've connected these particular dots for myself before. That, mm. um, and I always just wanted friends, you know. <laughs> so it's yeah. like I, I've always just felt lonely and like walking away from people does not make me less lonely. In fact, I would say that when I was a teenager, I was so needy to be liked and so needy for people to accept me and whatever that 
I would get I did not yet have the nuance of some people are gonna get you and some people are not. And there's mm. no point kind of persisting with people who don't get you. Mm. And so I did I did kind of fall into the trap of you know, there are some people who some people, you know, some people don't like you and they are just say, leave me alone, fuck off, whatever. And that's that's I respect that. I am that's so great of them to draw their boundaries and leave you alone. Mm. But there's this other group of people who they don't like you but they enjoy kind of fucking with you and toying with you and so they'll mm. ask you to explain yourself but they're not really mm. listening and they're mm. kind of mocking you on the side and then you think that you're getting through to them but you're Somewhere not yeah. yeah yeah but you know even then so that's that's kind of in the moment but if you mm-hmm. zoom out and you see the big picture and again if you read history and you all these things sometimes um i found being earnest with someone who is kind of making fun of you or not taking you seriously or whatever like you might not persuade them in the moment but if you know in your heart that you're going to continue doing what you're doing and like mm-hmm. you can follow up next one year later five years later 10 years 20 years later and you're still doing what you love mm-hmm. uh it wears down like 98 percent, 99 percent of people they realize mm-hmm. that they thought you were just putting on an act and, yeah. and so from their point of view like oh i'm gonna make fun of the guy who's putting on an act but when they yeah. see 10 20 years later that you're serious uh that changes things for a lot of people but even yeah. then you can never please anyone it's all it's all you know even take anybody in history that you admire and they had haters you know it's just it's unescapable you know even jesus or yeah. you know like whoever everyone made people upset so yeah. you do the best you can for the and, people that you care about yeah so one one of the things that i always uh, associated with you is this precisely this long-term thinking like uh you're someone is making fun of me I'll, i know i'll keep doing this and and then in a year later five years later 20 years later i'll follow up and they'll understand that i kept doing this so when did you start to think um like embracing this long-term thinking instead of short term good question um Hmm. Like, was there a particular moment in your life where uh that is a good question when did i start uh well i would say first of all i've always just thought longer term in general so even when i was a child i was reading about like ancient civilizations mm. and ancient greeks and egyptians and you know it's just and just knowledge of that that there were people thousands of years yeah. ago very similar to us who had different religions different mm-hmm. ways of life but and they're not around anymore and like we are no diff- like just having that long view of thousands of years i think automatically tends you so maybe from the very beginning like so even mm-hmm. reading like biographies mm-hmm. of people's lives uh just so i've always been but i think there's a slight there's there's a there's a there's something here anyway to think about which is that there must have been moments where things became clearer for me i don't know if there was like any one kind mm. of like like yeah. s- like a um, critical moment i think it's really just o- slow and steady over time um like yeah blogging about politics and seeing elections i don't know if that's that's uh participating in my local music scene as well i think like witnessing that there's all this drama that happens about uh you know who's performing at what gig you know who's first position last position like you know the set list like oh we want we don't want to play first we don't want to play last and then mm. and i i was just like does it really matter you know like um and i saw for myself that a bunch of people who are arguing about who gets to play first it doesn't matter because a year from now like half the bands are not even around anymore and so the the best way to get better p- 
position is to just keep playing and mm. be around next year. And mm. like half your competitors won't even be around anymore. Mm. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay. So the most important question I should be asking myself if I'm playing in a band is how do I make sure that my band is still around next year? Yeah. <laughs> you know? sure, yeah, As opposed right. to, yeah. So show up, don't die, don't quit. You know? yeah, exactly. And, and people people spend all that you and it's, it's and it's the same with the doors thing again right it's like i see people focused on how do i get into a better position for this play for this like this round of of game but you know and i you know I, I i'm reminded of quotes that's like uh people saying you know like trophies are won in the practice room like you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like people watch the nba match and they're like oh that that guy he managed to intercept that guy is so good but if you look at the championship trophies right if you look at whether yeah. it's football or whatever like uh, i think alex ferguson had a quote that's like uh again like yeah again trophies are won by getting people to show up for training every day and yeah. practice their drills and be healthy eat exercise avoid injury like it's boring but yeah. that's how you win championships you know it's not how you how like a, a few minutes of play like can you can have some impressive play something unexpected or whatever but like when you have when a championship is won or lost by a hundred like with 60 games or whatever like it's really mm-hmm. you just yeah so i guess i was just maybe i lost at some i don't know if i lost i specifically lost at something or i witnessed i think i think local music stuff influenced me i think local politics stuff influenced me like um yeah, uh, I had some drama. I don't know. Is it, was, it was a big drama? But I just, I guess, I just remember like arguing with my friends and my peers when mm. I was like seventeen or eighteen, and we're just talking about, you know, what does success mean? What, what is, you know, just guys arguing about mm-hmm. nonsense, like uh, which, which thing is better? Or I don't even know the yeah. specifics anymore. But like, it just, it at some point, it just became like, I could no longer deny the of what became obvious, which is that. You win by just outlasting the competition, like ninety nine percent of the time. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes you have these cools, like okay, like you take someone like Jimi Hendrix, who's like was amazing for a few years, and then he died, and it's so tragic. And it's true that you know uh, maybe if he hadn't died, like he wouldn't have been so legendary. But mm-hmm. I would rather have lived in a world where Hendrix is an eighty year old guy yeah, right now, and he's still absolutely. still still making music. And you know, like yeah, so it's just don't die you know? yeah. like, don't, don't die don't quit and sure. yeah it's just i guess it's, it's really studying lots and lots of um, stories of people trying to be creative people trying to do anything significant and seeing things fail seeing yeah. things collapse seeing people's relationships divorce like all of these things and then i'm just evaluating like like what what do i know you know how do things work what's going on <laughs> and, then just, and so eventually i just converged on like just really the sense of people get distracted by the short term and same for you know even like markets like i so i bought some bitcoin in like 2015 it's like before i wish i bought a, like i could have had a chance to buy but whatever like you can't change the past but yeah. then i'm just i'm just holding and like now there's stuff crashing and i'm like i'm just holding i'm just like yeah but again because i just not like like let's just see it in 10 years you know like like if you're willing to hold things for 10 years when you buy them you it's so much less stressful you know and it's not, yeah. i'm not talking not just talking about money but like yeah you know like With everything. So i know yeah i i know that music gives me joy 
Mm-hmm. I might not be practicing music every single day, but I know that mm-hmm. as an old man in my nursing home or whatever, I'm going to like to strum and play with my friends. Yeah. So it's like having that knowledge is gives me peace, right? So it's yeah. like yeah, so it's like when you read like biographies of people and you see decades of life, you really see that um it's it's really the the simplest fundamentals over a long period of time. They make all yeah. the difference. You know, it's like and- conversations with friends and yeah and, um, and that sorry to interrupt but i think that that connects beautifully with with the idea that you have that so i, I was listening to a podcast of you in uh with uh the guys from i think it's idea market and and you mm-hmm. were talking about how uh like we we, we tend to overvalue this uh, genius idea right like that specific moment where people just make that awesome goal or that awesome move and we forget to, mm-hmm. to think about all that long-term practice that led to to that moment yeah. like once again championships are won in in the training our trophies are won in the training so and and i, I and i can't can help but notice that there's a connection here right like there's a connection between thinking long term about your goals but also not valuing like oh no not it's not not valuing it's understanding that you you'll need to practice a lot to get into a goal uh, or to achieve a certain state, right? And and, and yeah. so uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed um, was uh, I followed you because of your thinking. I, I enjoyed your tweets. And then there was a moment where I, I, I saw a video of you playing the guitar. And I had no idea that you played music and that made me like you even more. So oh. uh, I, I do have like, I, I, I associate you with a specific musician and I'll tell you why in a minute. But first I want to understand like what, did besides what you already mentioned, like what did music and the guitar taught, taught you? Because I remember that when I switched careers, um, because when I had the wrist injury, I then pursue, started to pursue another question that I had, which was like, um, how can we maximize human potential uh, and, and all that stuff. And, and when I switched into that area, a lot of people asked me, how do you feel about wasting nine years of your life studying to be a musician? And that's the most common question that I had. And I always had to explain that that's no what happened. Like I had, I learned so much being a musician. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was I, I so I studied jazz and I, I spent years and years and years crafting the heart of improvisation. And that thing in music, uh, like improvisation is a meta skill that I can use in all these different contexts. And so I, I, I would explain to people like, I had to learn that in order to make my learning experiences and my workshops and my training sessions the level that they are. So that was to me one of the most important questions, uh, one of the mo- most important issues that I that I've learned as long as listening skills and all that stuff. So what are some of those to you and 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 to your relationship with music? Yeah, and even before that, you know, when I hear something like, "Oh, you spend nine years on a thing and you're not doing something with it." it's like like that seems like a waste like that's that's really it's a failure of imagination you know it's people Absolutely. really have this this narrow view of, <laughs> of how things are like you really never know like unless you know like yeah the things that you learn in some domain you can't know how you will end up using it in some other context like it's always possible anyway so you asked about music um, you know, I, I wasn't from like a musical family. I didn't grow up playing an instrument. Nobody in my family is like very, like my mom has her favorite. So my mom likes like Bee Gees and Carpenters and Abba. And my dad likes like old Indian Tamil songs and stuff. But neither of them sing and, or, you know, it's, there's none of that. So for me, I, I remember, and I vaguely remember liking like Michael Jackson a little bit and who did mm. it on TV. 
But um, for me, it kind of started when I was a teenager and I got, I, I think around maybe puberty. Puberty might have been when it started. Like, you know, you, again, like, be, be, be adults forget, but puberty is a very stressful and confusing and overwhelming time with a lot of emotions. And um, music... You know, I, I think I remember watching MTV and it's like I was very into Avril Lavigne and uh, it's just hearing people express feelings, right? Yeah. So I think, again, like, and especially for men, I think, um, like, music is a way for men to express feelings in a way that doesn't get dismissed as uh, feminine, effeminate or, or just weak or whatever, right? Okay. So you can go on. Like, I, just, like, I had a friend who was tweeting, I want to kill myself. I uh, hate my life, whatever. And then all his friends replied, like, are you okay? It's so worrisome. And then he told me, I, I just wanted to say the words, man. I didn't, I don't, I don't want this big thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. then, then you should put it in a song. You know, yeah. <laughs> when, when you say it in conversation, people worry about you. Yeah. But if you put it as, I want to kill myself, you know, whatever, like whatever, how are we going to yeah. do it? People see that as a performance. They see that you're not just, like, yeah, you're spilling your guts and feelings, but you're yeah. doing it in a container and that container gives people... Um, a different frame. Yeah, exactly. By framing yeah. it, yeah. you show that you have peace of mind. And, in, and what we know is that some, music, some musicians don't actually have don't, peace of yeah. mind. Like, like it's a, you know, you, 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 we watch their work and you're like, are you okay? And like, you yeah. know they're not okay. But, yeah. you know, at, at least as an interface for relating to other people, like yeah. music, art, movies film you know all, all the arts they are painting it's a way yeah. of expressing the intensity of your emotion without while, while having a bit of separation from from like your daily persona right and mm -hmm. i think that's very that's very helpful um and also there were a group of guys in my school who were playing guitar i just thought they were super cool so i wanted to hang mm. out with them you know yeah and um yeah you know and they, so they were into like metal and, and I, I think I, I became more of a hard rock and blues sort of. Yeah. But it's, it's really fundamentally, it's about emotion. I think, you know, music is really, it's about emotional. There's this great quote I found from um, Carl Polnack of the Boston Conservatory. And mm -hmm. I loved it so much. I, I gave like a speech about it in junior college, like just about um, just the value of music in, in helping people... Uh, navigate their interior selves and um you know like so carl says things like you know when people cry at a wedding it's usually when the music starts right it's like yeah and and uh it's just we use song to to regulate our emotions right we like uh when 9 11 happened or when tragedy happens like we rely on on the people singing to, to grieve or to celebrate and it's just um yeah i i think that that ability to express emotion to regulate emotion to to communicate and con and and commune with people right so i have a tweet somewhere about how uh again like my, the local music scene for me felt like it was my church you know it was my sweaty and noisy and and but it was so raw and real and people sharing their feelings and people hit banging and it's just you feel the yeah. crowd it's just it was um it felt very real and like in singapore at the time it just you know like going to school felt like felt fake as shit so it, it, it was my oasis of of um realness in the desert of the yeah. unreal in a sense yeah and yeah I, I still carry that with me even if i'm not playing in a band right now like i will always and i learned so much you know like 
um, writing songs, finding bandmates. I actually have a draft of an essay of a novel that I wrote in 2017. Mm. It's called Make Some Noise. So like my debut mm. novel is about a group of musicians finding family in each other and then dealing with the conflicts that emerge subsequently. Because yeah. it, it, you know, like when you're alone and you feel like you're, you don't have anyone for you, that's, that sucks. But then when you find people who seem like your family and then you don't get along, that sucks in a different way and it can suck yeah. worse because now you feel like, oh, Am I broken that I can't even be, yeah. you know, with the? But no, it's not. It's just it's just painful and complex. Like just relating yeah. to people is challenging. But um, yeah, you know, music and so it's it's about emotion. It's about expression. It's about communication. Commu communing. It's just it's a universal language, right? I remember Absolutely. there's this video of uh, I was about maybe seventeen or eighteen, and there's this video on YouTube of musicians from all over the world playing uh, stand by me and they mm -hmm. have like you know they get they get people like this tribal circle in in like native americans and there's mm -hmm. like this russian guy and just all over the world they're all yeah. kind of recording different parts and playing and I, I remember crying while watching that video and my parents are like you should study you should whatever and i'm like i would give my life for musicians you know i mean it when i say that because mm -hmm. they demonstrate to me that communion is possible that mm. we can we can even if we don't understand each other's words right we can feel yeah. each other right? and and that that possibility i think nietzsche said without music life would be a mistake yeah. i agree it's just really Absolutely. right so it's, yeah yeah it, and, and it's this way to, to, to connect like I, I remember uh, I, I sometimes when I give um, I, people would invite me to go to schools to, to share my story and, and I would say that it, it's cheesy but it's true like language was the music that I knew where I could express myself and 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 actually inspire other people like to me the, the feeling of playing a, a live show and or or doing a music or playing music and then in the end someone coming along and said look i really enjoyed that music or i really enjoyed that solo that that make the world right because because especially when you're playing like uh because playing there's to me there was a different vibe for uh between uh playing like a song that you wrote like which has words and then playing like only instrumental music and uh, it allows for the expression of different feelings in, in, in different ways. Uh, but like one of the things that I, 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 I said before, I associate you with a specific musician, which is Miles Davis. Do you know Miles? Yeah. Are you, yeah. Well, I, I'm Big not fan. sure how perfect. I'm not sure how familiar, familiarized you are with his life. But one of the things that Miles did was he was basically this, um, like, I, I, I forget about the word, um, but, but like this lighthouse where, in, he, he would be able to bring people together that were very, very talented and create groups around it. And, and everyone knew that being around Miles was being around different people with uh, different backgrounds, with different approaches to music, but all of them connected not only by talent, but by uh, some kind of love uh, for music and experimentation. And like to me, from not from, not from the moment that I met you, but as I was... Uh, as I get familiarized with you in, in with your work, I quickly realized that to me, you're like this Miles Davis of friendly, ambitious notes. Like everyone around you, like uh, not not maybe not everyone, but it's it's really easy to get along with people that follow you or that you know because you know they all share a, a, a bunch of different different things. Um, 
And that's why in the nine previous episodes, you were mentioning all of them because you were like, everyone knew Visa because of that. And so uh, I was wondering like, first of all, do you agree with this? And if so, like, was that uh, a goal that you craft or it was something that just happened? Yeah, that's definitely, so it's, it's very cool that, so you don't seem to know that I have actually written threads about Miles Davis. Oh, and I didn't. Ex explicitly saying that I want to be like Miles Davis in some ways. You know? Awesome. The other, the, the, other, the other guy that I, I mean, it's, it's, it's cooler that you came up to this independently without seeing the threads, right? Because, yeah. you know, uh, another person that I feel sort of fits the bill so not so much as a band leader the way mouse was but like more broadly as a producer is uh quincy jones yeah so quincy jones absolutely quincy jones is another guy who's like this one man nexus of creative talent like just yeah. every, he's, he just keeps spotting talent all the time he's yeah. spotted like you could make a video that's like 10 minutes long and it's it would be there's, so there's a whole documentary about him but like i would say that it would be even more powerful if they compress the whole documentary into Everyone who has been discovered by Quincy Jones saying, I, so Oprah was discovered by him. Like just so many, yeah. like you could make a, like just people saying, oh, Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones, this is crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and what I think both Quincy and Miles did is that they really just care about music mm -hmm. and they care about identifying talent and encouraging it. Uh, there's this great quote from someone else from the Miles Davis documentary. I can't remember which person. His remember his drummer. One on one of his band guys was saying mm. that um, you know he said that I I, I pay you to practice yeah. on the bandstand, right? Like to make your yeah. mistakes on live and fix them there. Like don't prepare mm. some pre-existing. He said like every night was like a laboratory of of you know slightly dangerous the ex yeah. trying to control I think, control the explosion i think it was the same. Mm -hmm. uh, um i don't uh, i i know that herbie also has great quotes about mouse but like yeah. the, the person i'm thinking of is slightly different but yeah it's, it's just okay. that, that crew and um it's just so interesting to me what he was capable of and how rare it is that someone and so part of what he says was uh and the people said oh the Sorry, then the, the musician says, oh, the public won't like that very much, that we are fucking around on stage yeah. making mistakes. And Herbie's and uh, Miles says, you don't worry about the public. I'll take care of the public. You just play. Yeah. You know, I love that phrase. And I, yeah. I feel like uh, that is what a good leader is supposed to do. You know, they are the interface, a good manager. They are the interface between their team and outward reality. And, you know, they stubbornly advocate they have a vision first of all for what they think good music or a good product or a good anything is they have a vision and then they recruit the best possible people they can find they encourage them and say do your best um you know impress each other you know don't bullshit don't fuck around don't don't you know it's in like you know it's, it's, it's like you fuck around but you don't fuck around right like mm -hmm. you, you you screw around at the edge of what is possible but yeah. you don't don't give me like your 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 cookie cutter bland you know yeah. and I'm, I'm reminded now of like louis ck said this about george carlin as well like so uh, as someone who's successful just throw out mm -hmm. all your crap and start new be fresh surprise and amaze me so that's leadership right and um he would he never settled you know and, and i always quote steve jobs talking about bob dylan but it applies to miles davis as well like mm -hmm. jobs was saying that you know any artist once they succeed they can basically become like in my paraphrase is they can become a tribute act to themselves right mm -hmm. it's like you just your first album was great you spend the rest of your career 
replaying your first album because everyone wants to see your first album. Mm. And you know, it's a good album, but now yeah. you're a trib- you're like a tribute band to yourself. And yeah. so it's like you're outwardly successful. You keep making more and more money, but you're not innovating. You're not risking failure. You're not trying new, crazy, exciting things. You're not. Yeah. And like if you look at Miles Davis's um, discography, right? Yeah. Like bitch, like he starts out with some stuff. You get to like bitches, bro. It's just yeah. crazy. Completely different. You know, so will, will, and if he were, if he lived longer, you know that he would have continued to innovate, doing more Absolutely. strange, crazy things. And again, you know, if only he'd live longer, right? But, yeah. but you know, while the individual died, sadly, um, the, the spirit and the insight and the perspective, that's still accessible to anybody who wants it. You know, you can study yeah. his career, reverse engineer how he did what he did and apply it to your own domain. You don't necessarily need to be a trumpet player, right? Because like, yeah, everybody, everybody is is a ringleader, band leader in their own context in some way. You know, you can organize house parties, you can, it doesn't even need to be music. It can be anything. It can be Twitter, yeah. right? It can be whatever. And yeah, I'm always, you know, I think uh, when you have a genuine love for the craft, right? That that helps you go past the ego, the egotism of like, I want to be, you know, the the king of this like I, I want to be celebrated and uh, you know even saying the word king right so i i have a lot to say about uh kings and the concept of like like the archetype of kings right so, so the job of the king so in, in this case of miles davis or any mm-hmm. leader right the job of the leader is to receive the eyes and attention of everybody who is uh who is and ideally is you know you're consenting so some complexity there about like yeah. uh, con- <laughs> okay, <weird>. conquest <laughs> yeah but like you know uh, just imagine like what was an example of a good king right? a good leader it's like yeah you wear the crown but the crown is not to glorify you you know the crown is really is a representation of the collective people. attention yeah it's the people like, you are a human being and you are wearing the crown that the people that represents the people and your job is to direct the attention of the so you're like an an attention allocator right you're Mm -hmm. a prestige and status allocator Mm -hmm. and what shitty kings do is they're like i'm the king glorify me celebrate me make me whatever but like a you know if you see like uh in law of the rings right in return of the king aragon Mm -hmm. directs the everyone he bows to the hobbits and he directs Mm -hmm. everyone so they say you bow to no one right and Mm -hmm. and that act of um of directing attention it mm-hmm. elevates the whole kingdom right it yeah. benefits everyone and yeah. same for so like people like miles davis and quincy jones they're always looking for new talent and they're always encouraging and supporting new talent yeah. and that is that serves the whole realm you know it's not selfish and being like get a load of me it's mm. like how can i advance the state of music and advance mm-hmm. the state of whatever it is and it's a pleasure you know it's, it's how you so one of my things i say is like uh stop trying so this is a quote from david ogilvy he says strive for the company of immortals you know so mm-hmm. don't just try to impress your friends like mm-hmm. yeah cool impress your friends whatever but like dream bigger you know play for all of history play for yeah. play for valhalla you know like yeah, yeah I, I can impress my friends it's not a big it's not weird none of us are a big deal but mm-hmm. like if you do great work right this just gets back to golden age shit you know there is no doubt that the age of athens in time of pericles everybody there was doing amazing shit like it was just yeah. 
with Socrates, Plato, all of that, all the playwrights and stuff. And there's no doubt that, you know, the golden age of Baghdad, where they invented algebra and, and chemistry, like, holy shit, they were doing, they were advancing the world for all of humanity, right? And then you go to like Shakespeare's London and there's all that crazy shit that's happening. And Renaissance yeah. Florence, like there, okay. there are like, these four or five things where it's like, it's very, very clear that, you know, like I, so in my shorthand when I'm explaining this to my friends I'm like those people were and again I'm not religious per se but like succinctly I said those people were glorifying God uh, you mm-hmm. know glorify whatever the word you want to use you mm-hmm. know they were serving humanity they were yeah. the light of human consciousness was flourishing in their custodianship they were mm-hmm. truly they were not they were impressing their friends sure but they were doing stuff for the ages for yeah. all of time and what a wonderful um, way to live. Like if yeah. you can not just make your friends happy, but serve all of humanity. And my wish is that, and you know, so I would say Miles Davis, in, in, in a way he did that, he did his version of that. Yeah. And some things are <clears throat> debatable. Like people are like, oh, you know, was, you know, uh, you take something that's, that's kind of, but while some things are debatable, some things just become so obvious that nobody debates it. Yeah. And my wish for my friends and my peers and for just this moment in history is can we make, you know, so like, can we make Twitter right now um, mm. flourish? So, and again, like we can't save or we can't help all of Twitter, all but Twitter. like, can we, can we put together a team of, in, in, in a team, in a scene, right? A scene mm-hmm. of, 500 people who are just so talented and so clever and challenging and uplifting each other mm-hmm. such that 50 years from now, people will point back and say, holy shit, 2022 Twitter, man, that was the place to be. That was yeah. the same way we talk about, wow, you know, can you believe that C.S. Lewis was writing The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe at the same time that Tolkien was lighting Lord of the Rings? Can you imagine being yeah. in the bar where they were having conversations and you were one of their mutuals just hanging out? Yeah. We can do that, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, I just want to, to me, this is like opening the doors, you know, it's mm-hmm. just ra- raising everyone's aspirations and um, just making it so like, it's possible. It's, it's accessible to us. And it's yeah. a way to, you know, a lot, of, I hear people say things like, ah, you know, there's a meaning crisis. Life doesn't, you know, like all of, we've explored all of the earth and we haven't yet started exploring the stars and probably too young to explore the stars. I'm like, Sure, but like you can, you know, we have the internet, we have Twitter, we have uh, Wikipedia, we have YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and you know, while so while I would say my long game is to try and uh, incentivize and encourage golden golden age scenes in our lifetime, while doing my research, I almost wonder if, in some senses, it already exists and we, yeah, we're, we're just not seeing it, not appreciating it. Right, yeah. and then so which is great because that that makes that makes our job easier because we don't even have to we don't have to invent Wikipedia and we don't have to invent YouTube. They already exist, and yeah. people are. But not everyone sees how wonderful they are. So we have to teach people how to appreciate how wonderful these things are, and appreciation has to be taught. You know, like um Da Vinci, for example. So there was this guy called Vasari. I don't know, just correct pronounce it. And he he wrote histories of the artists around that yeah. time, and it's like. It's kind of surprising to me, but like people don't appreciate greatness until someone teaches them how to appreciate it. Because greatness is a bit weird. You know, greatness is like, it's, it's a little bit surprising, a little bit uncomfortable. A lot of the best albums in music 
when they were released, the reviews were not that great, you know, because people mm-hmm. are like, what the fuck is this? You know, yeah, and it's like yeah, 10 yeah. years late. So it's like you need very discerning um, observers. So we need everyone to, to pitch in and to contribute towards this endeavor of, of making great things and appreciating great things and inviting more and more people to join. And yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just, you know, it, it yeah. Yeah, and because you mentioned, like, I, I when I started the podcast, I, I, I it, it took me a lot, uh, a long time to start because I had this idea that I had to to have like this perfect, clear vision of what a modern golden age looked like, and so I delayed and delayed and delayed, and then there was a moment where I was like, this, this doesn't make any sense. I need. Uh, who am I to say what a modern golden age looks like? What I need is I need to talk with people and try to understand what are common pinpoints and maybe then craft like this, this vision of what it is. And as I was going, and I'm actually writing an essay on, on, on this with, with the main lessons that I've learned throughout these 10 episodes. And one of the things that I've realized is that in some sense, we're already on a modern golden age and we don't need to build one. We need to build the worldview that allows for people to notice that we're already living it uh and 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 so it, it makes it makes total sense uh what, what you were saying and like i guess that one of my questions is um and, and you kind of answer it but i'll i'll give you like the space to, to clarify it if you want like how would you define the, this this concept like the modern golden age um what is what does it look like to you that's a uh, how do I so okay, I know that the concept of a golden age is itself contentious and people will disagree and uh, whatever. But like, you know, I just what I'm looking to see and what I think can be done is to just accelerate the the creation of um new new content new, you know framing and content in the terms of content seems to be a bit fraught uh sorry can you repeat your question how, how yeah, do i define a golden age yeah yeah modern golden age um so it should so the thing is we might not be able to see it in our lifetime i'm not sure i'm not sure if we will know in our lifetime that we're living it when we're living it mm. uh but i think that you know so again you you can look back to history for periods of time where things happened a lot <laughs> you know so like uh, there was a period of time in the late 1800s so before world war 1 and uh, the great depression and all that there was a period of time where it just seemed like mad like 1860s to 1890s it seemed like magic you know cameras were being invented railroads were being invented just the world was changing really fast a lot of just it seemed like everything was going to get solved and mm-hmm. you know turns out that there's complications and you know one of the difficult things about being living in the 21st century is we don't have the luxury of living of what the 19th and 20th no 19th century yeah so the 20th century had some big colossal fuck ups right yeah and we live in the shadow of that and our predecessors before that didn't quite have that. So they were really yeah. like, oh, we are going to understand the human mind and we're going to solve everything. We're going to find out everything and we're going to solve everything. And now yeah. we know like, okay, that's, that's fucking stupid to say, right? So, and, it, and so it's, like, it's, like, it's a pendulum, right? Between like knowledge and despair and, and all of those things. Yeah. And um, 
I, I'm not saying that we should be ignorant again. <laughs> you know, we should be aware yeah. of the things that go bad. But um, I just want to see. I want to I want to bring together all the optimistic people. I want to bring together artists, scientists, people who create stuff, people who are encouraging and supportive. Uh, you know, all those people exist, but they don't seem to like the, the vision that I have is that. You know, I, I kind of wish I didn't feel like it was even necessary. I kind of wish that. I look up into so I think a question I've asked people before is like, how come we are not completely overwhelmed with a hundred times more of the best of everything? You know, like so. So let's say I want to talk about Elon Musk, right? So people are conflicted. Some people like him, some people hate him. But like, my question is, why do we not have a thousand Elon Musks? And mm. I don't necessarily mean his personality. You know, like mm -hmm. whether you like his his uh, his tweets or whatever. I mean, he's someone who and and maybe let's maybe I'm not saying the person. Maybe I'm saying the the complex, right? So the complex mm -hmm. meaning the group of scientists or whatever who made reusable rockets happen. Like if you've seen mm. reusable rocket, like again. You know, when we were kids, right? When we were ten years old in the nineties, the concept of a a rocket going to space and coming back and landing safely and then going up again, sci-fi, did not seem possible. Yeah. Now it's happened enough times that it doesn't even make the news. It's like it's just yeah. oh, you know, rockets land again. Yeah, it's fine. It's just that's insane. It's like yeah. we don't stop. Like the the last like so. What's the last thing that was like a reusable rocket? Maybe reusable planes. Like when planes just take off and land, and yeah. that was mind fuck blowing to people. Yeah. And I just want to see more of that on every dimension in the yeah, so in yeah, the arts in movies yeah. you know like and like what's a good movie so I, I thought every everything everywhere all at once was a good movie some people might disagree sure fine whatever you know like this Matrix was a good movie like how do we get yeah. you know a, like a um, hundred amazing movies like that in ten years right mm -hmm. and then some people will say oh Visa you know. Actually, there are great movies. They're just not Hollywood blockbuster. Films. I'm like, okay, beautiful. Tell me about the like. Yeah. So I'm not watching these movies. Maybe, so they're saying like, you no know, indie films. There's amazing indie films. I'm like, okay, yeah. tell me about it so that I can share this information with everyone else that I know. Yeah. And let's elevate the best indie music, the best indie films, the best indie games. You know, I've mm -hmm. seen some jokes. It's like, oh, every triple A video game is like. You're you're a guy with a gun and you're going around shooting things, but there's all these yeah. other amazing things that, and I don't know about the details, but I know that there are people who know it. And so, yeah. how do we, you know, encourage and encourage people to elevate their taste? You know, and one of the ways I framed this before is, uh, let's make status games glorious again. So, okay, during the golden age of Baghdad, right? Um, one of the things that happened was that the Sultan managed to persuade rich people. That the coolest thing that they could do to show off to their friends was to fund astronomers. Meaning, like, mm. from, and, and so again, I'm not against rich guys. Mm -hmm. I I want all my friends to be rich. You know, like a moderate amount. I like just have enough that you don't care about your bills. You don't need to worry yeah, about day to day yeah. life, so you can focus on doing cool shit. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, to this today, a lot of like, if you look at the like oil billionaires or old money, like, what, what do people spend money on? You know, they buy yeah. sports cars. And, and maybe I'm being like a like a straw man thing here, where I'm yeah. focusing on the worst excesses. Mm. And maybe they are, you know, billionaires who are focused on. I mean, there's the other the other extreme where, I mean, you have like the 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 philanthropy wing, which is very focused on, oh, we must fix malaria, which is great. You know, I'm not against that, right? But yeah, like, I'm sure. Right, there are all these. There's all this money that nobody knows what to do with, and they mostly use it on buying like 
consumer goods to impress each other like yeah. yaks and and all that stuff and again like i'm just can we how do we make it more glorious you know how do we make it such that uh what if billionaires competed by for status with each other by funding the most interesting filmmakers yeah. and then you know it's like oh you have this and these filmmakers advance the state of storytelling for mm. all of humanity right which mm. is which is kind of what like the medicis were doing you know they were they're like yeah. trying to show off and then they yeah. funded you know michelangelo's david or they funded whoever like just great art that persists through the centuries mm -hmm. so that's part of the game that i want to play i want to to make the golden age of the modern times happen we will be seeing uh, just a dramatic increase in the volume of high quality art to the point where you can't you can't you're like oh my god i don't have time to watch all these amazing movies and tv so you're like you watch that i watch this let's compare notes and we're like mm -hmm. holy shit everything's amazing uh there's that there's, so it's like innovations and it's ha again it's happening you know you look at robotics and like um you look at like prosthetics these days like yeah. people they're like they're like we are already cyborgs you know it's amazing which is amazing mm -hmm. so that's part of that uh i think again so simply pulling all of these things together and getting people to appreciate that um you know so how many people appreciate this a million 10 million i'm not sure but mm -hmm. like um how many of my friends appreciate it yeah. i feel like it's you know like my twitter friends is like okay several thousand you know i have forty thousand yeah. twitter followers but i would say it's it's like a, maybe three or four thousand people i i get the sense really understand what's happening and what's going on and and i want to make that more um accessible to people mm. so that any ambition so okay i will say that the golden age has been reached or at least you know we're in the pro when anybody with an ambitious idea is immediately able to connect with someone who can fund them or can support them and nobody feels lonely so you know, like uh, i want to solve loneliness you know i feel like it, it loneliness <laughs> it, it makes no sense that we are the most connected in history and and yet people feel alone yeah. and so that's yeah. not a, that's not really a technological problem you know it's a it's more of a, a psychological storytelling philosophical problem like how people conduct themselves in the world right yeah. and again I'm, I'm i'm always kind of surprised that this isn't already a solved problem like why have like surely people are working on it and so maybe it's a bit naive of me to try when surely yeah. other people have tried before and clearly they must be running into uh failure in some ways and i have my theories for why i think my approach is gonna try I, why i think nobody's done quite what i'm doing and i think yeah. it's that it's that um there is an idiosyncrasy to my process like uh and a lot of the people who seem to be trying to do what i'm trying to do uh they tend to feel compelled to scale like mm. to try and to try and write a best-selling book to a lot of people or mm. to try and make a youtube channel that reaches a lot of people and when you and there's like there's like pressure and there's like push and pull factors that kind of draw people into that yeah and it kind of kills the golden goose i feel you know it kind mm -hmm. of it's like uh it's like imagine imagine if miles davis wanted to open like a music academy and like it's like starts music schools all over the world and but like you know you try to scale too fast and then you yeah. you hire teachers who might 
you know you don't have time to you don't take the time to really nourish and nurture them and so you have mm-hmm. too many teachers too many classrooms and mm-hmm. the pressure is to make more money and to profit and to grow fast and whatever yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it might not even be to to make money it might it might really be i just want to do music education but you try to grow it so fast that the pressure to grow and the pressure to yeah. get new students and get more teachers and it then you go to, you go you go to one of these classrooms and you see that oh nobody's really enjoying themselves yeah. <laughs> it just it's yeah. kind of it's kind of forced it's kind of j- joyless and yeah. i yeah i think that it's very important that joy be a part of the process like you have to be enjoying yourself and i keep seeing examples of of people who are like kind of preachy or kind of trying to you know trying to inhabit this this kind of mm. and i will consider you know i'm i'm kind of a street bus internet street busker slash street preacher kind of guy like i'll, I'll yeah. admit I'll, I won't deny that that's what I am. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things is when I do this, I must be enjoying myself. If mm. I'm not enjoying myself, my job is to fuck off until I'm I'm Enjoy. enjoying myself again. Yeah. Because when you have a preacher who is internally conflicted and in, I mean we're all internally conflicted, but when they, when they're stressed and they're anxious and they they feel shitty in some ways, that comes out and it stresses people out and mm-hmm. it makes people feel needy and and like they have to live up to not being judged and that kind of judgment is very unhealthy for this the creative process yeah i think that one of the things that that we can do to scale the modern golden age is actually not you specifically but other people trying to co- to apply your approach uh that in, in their own domain so you know what i mean i i think that you're one of the things that i i i think that you're that are unique about you is is like what you were saying like you're not that worried about uh growing or scaling your different uh contents really fast like you're worried about growing them of course i know that but but like in, in not in a way that compromises the the joy and the way you approach things so for instance and the truth is we go to your youtube channel and we're not seeing like this high production with all these tricks and hacks to make people stay and and grow we're actually seeing a dude that connects his camera and starts talking about it or or even your books because I, I i think that i haven't yet found a term that describes both fan and introspect because even though they may be considered books i think your approach to to, to writing uh that piece of art let's call it that way it's not it's not it's what you're saying like you could pick up introspect and 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 pick up the, the main ideas and write a, a a book about it and be published and try to get to amazon bestseller but i do believe that's not what you want and that's why it works that's why that approach works right so if more people with their own domains with their own pieces of art uh like take that approach it will scale not like uh up but in 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 or in a horizontal way and that will allow for more flourishing for 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 that scene um at yeah. least that's 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 my take yeah i think i think what just clarified for me that uh is that it's very very rare that people are willing to play very long games at a very ambitious scale and be patient and slow about it you know so yeah. it's like you have one of like so it's like those those three or so variables like a lot of people, you know, so like there's this famous uh, Peter Thiel question where he says, what's the thing that you want to do in 10 years and why can't you do it in the next six months? And mm-hmm. I actually have an answer to that. I, I feel that if you try, when you try and select for people who are trying to do things very fast, you se- it, it selects 
out for certain people and it selects for certain people people who are very mm. yeah it's it's very ambitious sure but like human relationships take time to build you know like yeah. careers take time to and like i don't want you know so some people are like oh you know you, you seem like a cult leader like you want to move to a compound <laughs> and have a bunch of followers i'm like eh. you know I, so the thing that's very important to me is that so it's almost like an anti-cult like i don't want people to follow me and let's all go some i would be bored i want people to be where they are to mm. contribute to their own respective communities to mm. raise their own families in their own religion their own philosophy their own friends and family. Mm. like be let's have a global network of friends who doesn't pressure each other to move fast and do things like mm. we have time we have decades of life you know yeah. and um i want to see people get married and have kids and and change careers and say you know what i used to love music and but and but you know now i, I think i want to get into film i don't really care so much about movies yeah. I, mean, i still love music you know they kind of i want to see people somebody start a company and then be like just just thinking long term yeah. building you know building brands that last 50 years if, if you're yeah. going to get into if you're going to start making products or stuff and there's a lot of oh you should raise money to build a company fast and grow fast and scale yeah. and then you can sell the company to some other thing for like 10 billion dollars but why you know what was that what was that for you know when you grow that fast what is the relationship that your customers have with your product you know people are like oh yeah. uh you know the product this customer service wasn't very good the it's all when you try to do things fast there's yeah. there's stuff that gets messed up along the way yeah. and I'm trying to build cultural institutions in the digital age, basically. And I, what I mean by a cultural institution is like, uh, if you look into the history of like comedy clubs in the in New York, right? It really it took like twenty years for comedy as a scene in New York to really flourish. Mm. And I, I I find myself complaining about this with Singaporeans sometimes. It's like in Singapore, we so we our country is very well known for wow the government is very. Smart and very efficient. We're too efficient to the point where we don't have cultural institutions, yeah. and you need like a restaurant or a cafe or a library or something that's been around for a hundred years. When you have that, then that institution transcends. You know, whoever's in the government at the time, whoever's in, it's bigger than any one person's career, any one person's thing. And people love, it's like a church, right? It's like, it's yeah. the idea is, is there's something beloved and beautiful about that space that demands respect and demand and gives people yeah. something to situate themselves in. And you can't rush these things. That's the thing I'm really, you know, you can't speed run a cultural institution in a year. Like it, yeah. it has to be, and you know, even on Twitter, I have friends that I've been tweeting with for, probably 10 years by now at this point or at least five years and you know so like me and my friend Malcolm we've been we've we met in 2015 and mm. we're probably going to meet in real life later this year maybe and this mm. I like it you know it's like because we've seen each other do our thing change careers change whatever and it's, it's just an uh an intimacy and a shared knowledge and understanding that comes from just that having that amount of time And most people, I think, are a bit too impatient. I think, I think culturally, as a species, since and you know, like again, convenience is great. Amazon Prime delivers the next day, whatever. Like all that is amazing. But like same with people asking you, you spend nine years on a thing. Like is that yeah. a waste? Like I want people to who realize that you cannot know. In mm. the context of a eighty, ninety year life, you cannot know. You can spend. 10 years doing something seemingly stupid even music and you learn something you could do something yeah. like think of something hot, like i'm trying to think of what's what's the, what's a really 
silly thing to do. Like, I don't know, digging holes and filling them back up. <laughs> just something like, like you just can't know, right? I, I want people yeah. who are humble and curious and um, yeah. I, I think that one of the things and, and that, that you mentioned and I'm trying to put it together is that um, like, I think it's hard for people to play slow games because there's a lack of joy in what they're doing. Uh, and so yeah. I, I, I don't think that if, if we're able to, to cultivate joy and joyful people doing like, if I, if I absolutely love every single conversation that I have on this podcast or every single moment that I take to write a blog post or to play music or to start a company or to build whatever, if I'm really joyful doing it, I don't mind playing a slow game because I love it. I'll be here for 10 years because I don't mind. But most people will be, will start building things with a rush to end because they're not yeah. joyful in that moment. They're joyful with the end, right? And and if we yeah. bring more, that's that's why I think like you, you were saying that we're living in this the most connected area. But to me, connections are not the same thing as relationships. And, and I believe to you, they're not. Yeah. And a relationship takes time. Like Daniel Goliath, which I had on the show, he he, he has this beautiful essay uh, about friendship where he says that creating friendships as an adult is hard because it takes time. You need patience because once again, it's a slow process. But in, in order for us to solve the lonely, loneliness problem, we need to approach it with a slow mindset in a way that allows us to create relationships more than connections. And you do that. I think that you do an awesome thing sh- shifting that, or at least to me, it helped me to build more friendships or to start building more friendships online, which was the idea of good reply game. Like if, if you have a good reply game on Twitter, you, you start to go from a connection, which is basically I follow you or you follow me or in we're mutual to a relationship because you, you approach, you get closer to the worldview of that person and, and to create a friendship around that. And, and so I was wondering like, do you have any, thought about like uh this this idea of, of like for someone who doesn't who is listening to the podcast and has no idea what smart uh uh what what good reply game is like how would you define it and what are some of the things that you can do to to, to make it because i do believe in and sorry but i do believe that that's one of the fundamental parts of like that and being a friendly ambitious nerd i think there are two fundamental parts of being uh, uh of Allowing this modern golden age and this in this whole uh, philosophy, let's call it that way, to to uh, emerge in in our in our current time. Do you say your question was uh, how do you explain uh, so, good reply? Yeah, yeah, game? yeah. Sorry, yeah. How do you explain good reply game? Well, okay. My 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 current favorite way of explaining it, I think, is that uh, you know, it's it's kind of like passing a ball back and forth. If you imagine like a skillful visualize like two football players and they're just passing a ball back and forth and they're running into space and they're you know and so um you know conversations are back and you're passing conversation mm-hmm. back and forth you're passing ideas back and forth mm-hmm. and um a lot of people unfortunately uh they don't r- think about they don't see the bigger picture right so to have a good conversation you kind of zoom out a little bit and not just respond to this person just said a thing and I'm going to respond with what I think about that thing. Like mm. that's that's okay. But what you really want to be doing, in my opinion, is you want to read of, you know, you try and figure out, because every utterance that any of us makes, there's an implicit proposal in it. There's a proposal of let's play this game. Let's talk about these things. Let's and not just let's talk about these things, but let's talk about these things in this way 
to achieve this goal, maybe or it's you know it's it's a playful exploratory um, expression, mm-hmm. and and we can use music as an analogy for this as well. So somebody's playing a melody, and you can join in. And what are you gonna do? Are you gonna um, you know do like a rhythm section response? Are you gonna try and harmonize? Are you gonna try and like how can you make so the Victor Wooten has this great quote. He says, my job is not to just play with him. My job is to make him sound better. Yeah. And then the other guy says, you're hired. And then Victor says, and that's what happens. You know, what happens when you get good at responding to people in a way that makes them look good and makes them feel good is they want to be with you more. They want to have more conversations with you. And some people here will be like, oh, you know, why should I do that? Like, you know, it's, it's what if what the other person is saying is wrong and I disagree mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm like, you know, if you've spent enough time disagreeing with people, you find that, again, when you zoom on, you see the big picture. C- can your disagreement be constructive? So, you know, I, I say that that um, good reply game doesn't mean you agree with everything a person says. Yeah. You, can agree, you can agree poorly or you can disagree well in a way that continues the conversation. And there's this great quote from Oscar Wilde where he says, a boor, a boor, B-O-O-R, is someone yeah. who deprives you of solitude while not providing any companionship you know so you mm. say some he's he's near he's near you he's saying shit at you he's mm. not paying attention to you so mm. you you're just kind of listening to his nonsense and you're like mm. uh, okay i don't care uh, what, what what's going on like and yeah. so he's wasting your time he's wasting your space your your head space yeah and and it's just we've all known that person and right? it's just why are you wasting my time can you go away like you're just annoying whereas yeah. the opposite of that is someone who's paying attention to you they're really listening and they're like not only are they listening to the words of what you're saying they're getting a sense of oh you seem you know are you trying to say this are you trying to go there here's what i think you're saying are you saying <laughs> like and so it's like providing support to the other person cre- co-creating an environment with them that they can feel comfortable. So it might even be as simple as, oh, say more about this. Oh, tell me more about that. What do you think about mm-hmm. this? You know, like, huh, I noticed that you, when you were saying that, you kind of laughed. Like, well, why did you laugh? You know, like all, all of these, like you observe and you try and help and you try and be curious. Mm-hmm. And when you get good at this, it, it can become like magic. So you imagine yeah. again, like very advanced football players, like they can pass the ball, like one touch passing, right? Like he, yeah. he passes the ball to this guy and the guy doesn't even need to look and he just passes. Yeah. And then passes the opponent's there. like, holy shit, I didn't expect, oh fuck. You know, it's like, because they know each other so well, they know the mm-hmm. topic so well, they practice so well. And so they can they can run circles around the other uh, around their opponent. Like you take like yeah. basketball, you know, they, the no look pass behind the back. Yeah. They're like, whoa, that looks so cool. And it's just, because they know each other that well, and it takes its time and experience to know people that well. That you know, like if I if I if I look here and I throw there, my friend's gonna yeah. be there to catch me. Yeah. And I've said that you know, um, collaboration is humanizing, and the inability to collaborate is dehumanizing. So if you can, you know, like um, and you take, I've seen videos before of like a like a tourist sees a band playing on the street. And then the, the, the person is like, oh, can I join in? And then they, yeah. it turns out the tourist is an excellent jazz bass player. Yeah. And you're like, this guy can go to any jazz club anywhere in the world and make friends just by joining in, right? Yeah. And we can do that in conversation as well. So like, but you have to learn how to support people because people don't want to, you know, what, what is it that people want? People want to feel collaboration. They want to feel a back and forth. And yeah, you know, it really starts with, and I can even go further on this. It's like um, 
a healthy inner life is when you practice good reply game with yourself. And mm. so you enjoy your own company and you ask yourself, what's going on? How am I feeling? What's, you know, what do I want to be doing? How do I care? Mm. And then you're like, well, you know, I think I want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And, and when you get good at doing that, like you, you, you the, the, the stress and, and frustration in your body, your face, it melts away. And then you just kind of have this more gentle, welcoming vibe. And people want to be around you because they feel yeah. that, oh, here's a person who will accept me for who I am. And they're not going to judge me and be mean to me and what, whatnot. Yeah. And then, yeah, people come and hang out. And then so again, it's like Miles saying, I'll take care of the public. You just play, right? It's like, I'm going to yeah. provide this, this nourishing environment for you so that you, you can experiment. You can try weird things if you want and it will be okay. I won't, I won't make fun of you. I won't judge you. We'll see. If, it, if it's good, we'll expand on it. If it's bad, we'll move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just that, that psychological safety, being able to provide that with someone. Like, so I've, I've had exchanges on Twitter where everyone replying to a tweet is responding badly. And I respond with something like, I think you're trying to say X. And if that's what you're doing, I, I think this. And if it's not, well, something like And then I just do put in a little bit of effort, right? And then that person DMs me with something like, wow, you know, you're the first person who seems to understand what I was trying to do. And like everyone else didn't get it. And like, like mm. and then we become friends just like that. Mm. And for, for like years afterwards, we are still exchanging, you know, because in that one moment, I took the effort to try and see where they were coming from. And they felt seen, right? In a world mm-hmm. where pe- people, people see each other everywhere, but they don't feel seen, seen. you know, they don't yeah. feel like really heard and listened and understood understood so it's like yeah there's a lot of connection in the world there's a lot of i mean we again we are swiping 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 on on tinder or whatever and it's like people feel that they are being swiped as well and so it it just feels really like you're commoditized right like you're just this nobody's going to give you a time of or space or whatever and so it really and so my my the thing that i say to people is that um first of all read old books and read you know like Every book is in a way written by an author who couldn't find anyone to talk to, talk to, talk to about that thing. Or they wanted to mm. just, they really want, like every author loves their readers in some way. And that, that's yeah. why you read books. You know, people ask like, why, why should I bother reading a book when I can just, I'm like, because, you know, when I was a kid, I was hungry for someone who gave a shit about me. And I feel that when I was reading those books, I could feel the love of the authors who care about their readers, right? And artists throughout everywhere you you can go and go and smile at a street busker playing guitar and you'll feel that that kinship you know yeah. like just, just even, even just standing by and just nodding your head like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you feel that that you're sharing something right and it's all these little things that you share those moments you learn to share stuff with people and you know the the tragedy the the great triumph and tragedy of like modern capitalism is that we've gotten so good at productizing everything that we don't really need each other that much to like, like, you know, it's like you can get by without interacting with people, Like you can get your food delivered. You can get, mm. you know, like so much so that you can, if you're not careful and you don't make an effort, you can isolate yourself. And a lot of people Absolutely. are very isolated because they don't need each other. And yeah. there's really all these, there's, there's like studies and stuff where like people in poverty, like they might have worse, like uh they have worse outcomes in a bunch of ways, but they, they actually have lower incidences of depression mm-hmm. in part because of like the social fabric of yeah. they, they lean mm-hmm. on each other, they take care of each other. And, and I mean, yeah. it's, it's very complex. That's a t- subject for a whole separate podcast yeah. about like health and poverty and all those outcomes. But basically the thing that we need to learn is that people, there's a quote from Sebastian Younger in his book, Tribe, where he says that humans can tolerate tremendous hardship, but what we struggle to tolerate is not being needed. 
mm. and modern society has perfected the art of making people not be needed like nobody yeah. needs you nobody needs you yeah. but you can you can put yourself in a position where you, know, you can mentor a kid you know you can you can help someone with struggling with some specific thing you can teach something volunteer even the idea the concept of volunteering the the you know this like mm-hmm. as as like charity mm-hmm. i think this it's so misframed you know like so i used to volunteer in singapore prisons uh teaching interview skills to prisoners who are about to to awesome. finish their sentence and the thing is i went to it thinking i'm gonna do a good deed you know i'm gonna go and whatever and like the time that i spent with them i feel like they helped me more than i helped them you know mm-hmm. they really they they made me so they were so delighted to receive us every week because we're the people from the outside world that they get to meet right and yeah. it's just they were so warm and and kind and um you know they really really are glad to see you you know like, yeah. as a, and then you you spend like two hours with them just chatting about life or whatever like we're supposed to teach them interview skills yeah but that's almost just the, the excuse we just, we just have to talk to them basically yeah and then you go out and you sit at the bus stop and there's like a stranger and she is on her phone or whatever she's and then i'm like the prisoners were so happy to see me and i mean i'm not saying that you know like this lady is just some random stranger i, I don't need she doesn't owe me anything but i re- i really remember going into the prison and being present with the prisoners and they were so happy to see me that i felt my heart kind of like i felt oh this is why i'm here i'm on earth to be something to someone and then yeah. i step outside in back in civilian life and like nobody's anything to anyone you know i mean like yeah. you can make an effort you can you know if something happens or whatever but like yeah convenience means that nobody needs to be anything to anyone and yeah. that sucks you know it's like and um so we, the challenge is for us to find ways to be something to someone else right to help the old lady with her frying pan basically yeah and and yeah you know and and i i do believe that by doing it will will allow uh because because once again we'll feel joyful we'll allow for a slow uh process and by allowing for a slow process we'll then get into uh like the the correct frame that allows for once again this this golden age to emerge and this 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 new lifestyle to 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 to, to just arise um and and because because i do believe that that's friendship right the, it's it's one of the, the most fundamental aspects of this golden modern golden age to me it's it's friendship as as a value um i i have one last question to ask you visa which is uh, one of the things that I've tried to ask all the guests is uh, I, I'm, I'm searching for, as I, as I said, the common values and, and beliefs and practices and goals that we should have to, to let this one golden age emerge. I was really curious on, on about not all of those, but I, I would love to have like, what are some of the values that you believe we will have to share as a community to, to make this golden age uh, possible? Values as a community to make golden ages possible. Well, um, I think one of the most important ones is really valuing new voices. I think one of the biggest mistakes that... uh, So a thing that I do that I don't see enough other people doing... So people, you know, I'm I'm in a privileged enough position where... And it's it's kind of fun, kind of cool, kind of strange that people kind of copy me sometimes. Like I see people... It's very funny when I say something and I can see that um, people are responding to that which is you know it's very it's flattering it's a little bit strange uh blah 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 but like the thing that i do that i wish more people would do is go out and look for unknown voices and encourage them i think if everybody made a bit of an effort to do that uh just 
this the progress will happen partially by itself um you know there's there's, there's all these quotes it's just it's quotes about like if every person takes care of themselves and one neighbor then like the world is solved <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, you know like just no more problems right it's just but it's hard and uh we have to prioritize that uh no i'm not i'm not i'm not satisfied yet i feel like there's something deeper um values for a golden age so yeah there's so i think the frying pan thing is important i think imagination is important uh i think goofing off is important i think okay I, yeah i think one of the things that a lot of ambitious people and this this partially this i guess this also ties back to the frying pan thing and the long game thing a lot of people get fixated on achieving a specific outcome that they want and part of why when i talk about the golden ages it can be a bit flimsy and a bit mm-hmm. uh, vague and and it's on purpose because i don't want to give people an overly specific outcome to focus on yeah part of what one of the things i say is that i want to surround myself with smarter and wiser and more imaginative people than me so that we as a group can imagine things collectively that i cannot imagine myself right because if the, the 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 tragic thing is if i come up with a kind of narrow vision and then mm-hmm. we achieve it right because mm-hmm. as opposed to there's an even better vision that we haven't dreamed about yet so we need to continually yeah. be dreaming new dreams and and visualize you know welcoming new people seeing new things from new perspectives and yeah you know so willingness to reinvent rediscover re reorient shake mm-hmm. things up start things over i think that's important yeah. um long games be kind to one another um what else for golden age it's really really strive for valhalla you know really strive for the company of immortals yeah. um you know the good is the enemy of the great in a sense right like so don't get satisfied with good. oh you've impressed some people you've made some money like bigger man like really have like but you know so it's, it's like there's this attention right like so i don't want people to get stressed and be oh no how am i gonna how am i gonna be so great that people 100 years from now remember me like yeah. dream big so that you're inspired but help the old lady with the frying pan you know don't, yeah. don't worry don't be like oh i have to become the next shakespeare no shakespeare yeah. wasn't trying to become the to next become shakespeare, shakespeare. He yeah. just loved language and he loved plays and he just yeah. made the best plays he could, right? And same for, you know, like Newton wasn't trying to discover like like change the world. He was just mm-hmm. he obsessed about the things that he cared about. So you, you have to prioritize, you have to privilege your own taste. You have to really like so people, I think people who come to discussions about ambition and grand grand like even when we say don't worry about prestige they then you know kind of glom onto a guru or a like so don't 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 try to be like me please <laughs> you know i i am i am the way i am because of the way i am right and yeah. i do have a bunch of heroes you know i love haley williams i love miles davis i love just I this so collect a list of all the heroes and and you know put pictures of them on the walls or whatever but don't try to be them try to be yourself try aspire to be like a peer of them you know don't don't yeah. worship people as your heroes but rather think how can i be of service how can i be a friend and yeah, like the friend. best way to be a friend to someone who's you know doing great work and like as a consequence of that they are like a bit of a celebrity or whatever mm-hmm. is that you give them the gift of your humanity and be be like treat them as a person yeah. because when you put people on pedestals 
it becomes very difficult to relate to them and for them to relate to you. And then it's like, it's dehumanizing, you know, to, to pedestalize yeah. someone. And uh, yeah, so no pedestals, no, you know, like nobody is better than anybody else. Uh, encourage the beginners, celebrate good work. Um, always encourage people to do more and do better. And, uh, but not, not, not in like a needy and, mm-hmm. and, uh, in a but, yeah, like just, just be curious, be, be eager to ask people what's next. Like they've done something yeah. amazing. When when things are when things are great, be very specific in your compliments. So tell people, I like this. I like how you know in in this movie in this book that you wrote. My favorite chapter is this because I really like that. You know, like mm-hmm. be specific because that helps people know themselves better and know their work better and know the public better. Um, encourage people to share their work and encourage imperfect work. Right. So that's I think there's a bunch of people who are just have good ideas but they feel like their current uh, manifestation or whatever they're working on is just not good enough. Like that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like be create spaces where just like even in your group chats or whatever, right? Ask your friends what they're working on. Encourage them to share their imperfect stuff. Um, encourage them to share with more people if possible or to, to work on the next version of the thing. Um, use each other. Like so um, one of the cool things about scenes is that people can do things that they might not feel comfortable doing by themselves by using each other as an excuse. So just mm-hmm. say, oh, my friend Malcolm asked me to write about my theory about X, right? Because if you just write, here's my theory about X, people will be like, oh, who, who are you? You're just some guy and you, yeah. you're, you think you're some philosopher, you think you're so great. Whereas it's like, oh, you know, my friend, my friend Malcolm, my friend Michael asked me to write about this, so this is for them, right? So when you do that, yeah. you can produce way more output and you have an excuse, right? So like, yeah, it's yeah. all these little... There are all these little things like that. That and yeah, basically, you know, I think if you trace back anything great, so there's this great video of uh, Farrell and uh, Timberland, and they're both uh, like comparing beats, and they're both be like, "Oh man, this guy just came out with the sickest beat," and yeah. the other guy, and they both just be like, "Oh, what you you saying that?" Well, when you came out with that, I was, and the thing is, we wouldn't have such sick beats if those two guys were not trying to impress each other, right? Yeah. They can, imp- and like any random shit that they make would impress the casual layperson. Like they can yeah. come up with a beat, they can come up with a beat in their sleep. It's better than anything either you or me could make and Absolutely. we would be impressed. But yeah. the two of them are like, no, I'm going to go further. You know, I want to, yeah. imp- I'm going to, uh, like, and it's that one upmanship that like when they go back and forth for 10 years, suddenly you're in greatest of all time territory, right? Because yeah. they're trying to impress, again, it's like they're competing for Valhalla. They're not competing to impress the immediate thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, you you do that. Let's say you do that from the time you're 20 to the time you're like 60. And then you can retire if you want. You, know, yeah. you, can, just be a, <laughs> you can be a friendly village elder and be like, how are yeah. you kids doing today? Don't stress yeah. so much, relax, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just saying that when you're young, when you're healthy and you have options, like don't, don't constrain yourself. Don't limit yourself, you know, like yeah. just be flourish at the greatest you can flourish. And then, you know, maybe you have kids and whatever, and you kind of be more mellow. That's fine. You know, like really, really unfold and, and be excellent. And even then, you know, I, while I joke about retiring and whatever, like I'm, I'm reminded of the Japanese painter Hokusai who painted mm-hmm. the great waves of Kanagawa. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, at, at 60, I will just begin to understand art. At 70, I'll learn to make perfect lines. At like 
and like at 110 like my dots and lines will have a life of their own like he he wanted to continue working mm. i mean he died at like 80 something mm. but you could just see that that divine he was really playing for valhalla he was really yeah. i'm gonna become a better painter i'm gonna become a better painter and yeah i i have tried to approximate this sometimes by saying things like one day i will write a good tweet you know <laughs> like yeah. just really always always just yeah. aim bigger aim bigger don't don't be satisfied with like the praise of your friends you know yeah. like let's because just how cool would it be that like one of our friends like when we are imagine we're all old we're like in our 90s mm. and consensus is that some of our mutuals are steven spielberg uh shakespeare uh da vinci whatever just and it's because of the encouragement that we gave each other right like yeah. we challenged our friends to greatness and yeah. like yeah uh, just how wonderful that would be right and and you know but like assuming that we don't do like, like so i i i say all these things with a very open heart but like uh i do feel like i have to clarify that you know but don't sacrifice your soul to do that you know yeah. don't give help the old lady with the frying pans yeah. be a good friend be a good spouse you know don't don't cheat anybody don't steal don't lie don't do any of it don't be proud of yourself right like, yeah. and live a life that you can respect and demonstrate to everyone else who comes in contact with you what a beautiful life can be yeah. and then yeah i think that what more can you ask of a life right like, yes yeah. this... absolutely absolutely you said well yeah. that that's that's the perfect way to, the way to, to to wrap this up uh if, if people one last question if you want to connect with you if they want to buy what they should that which is something that they definitely should if they want to buy our books all that stuff where people can find you uh, I mean, so you can just Google me, right? So my username is V-I-S-A-K-A-N-V, Visakanvi. Uh, you can you can go on my web, my personal website, which is Visakanvi.com and go on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash Visakanvi. And like, uh, it's just, yeah. you click around, you'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll put the links in the description. Uh, and Visa, once again, thank you so much for not only the conversation, but all the work you put out uh, and, and all the encouragement, the kind of encouragement that, that you do with everyone, including me. Uh, to everyone listening, um, Please go follow Visa. He he absolutely deserves it. And it's this this is the end of the the, the first season of the podcast. We'll be back shortly with the with the, with the second season. If you like the podcast, you can leave uh, a, a review on your favorite podcast platform. Visa, once again, thank you so much. And everyone, I'll see you in the next season. Bye. Mm-hmm.